Hey, it's Nate Parrish from Wedway Radio, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 27 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. Before getting into this show, I'd like to thank Matt and Nate Parrish for having me as a guest on Wedway Now number 30. You may remember Nate from some previous episodes of Stories of the Magic, specifically episodes 12, 21, and 22, my first three-parter. I had a lot of fun with them, and I hope you'll check out their shows, Wedway Radio and Wedway Now, especially episode number 30, of course. And if you've recently found Stories of the Magic after listening to that episode, welcome! In this episode, we return to finish up my interview with former Walt Disney Imagineer Mark Hickson. As usual, we back up just a bit so we can keep the flow of the conversation, then continue into more details about what kinds of things Imagineering did for special projects, a couple of unused concepts for some park attractions, the last project he worked on as an Imagineer, what got him interested in working for Disney, particularly as an Imagineer, the first time he remembers thinking, I'm doing something really special what he loved most about what he did, the job he'd most like to have with the Walt Disney Company, what he never gets asked that he'd really like to answer, what inspires him, his advice to you for following your dreams, and of course, his Disney by Mark websites. You know, I realized recently that I haven't mentioned my friend Debbie's website, Making Magic and Memories, so I want to do that real quick before we get into the interview. It's a great blog where she showcases present and former cast members who've written in to share stories of how they made magic for their guests, as well as from some guests who had magic made for them. Check it out at makingmagicandmemories.com. If you like stories of the magic, you'll also like Making Magic and Memories. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. Have you ever experienced uncontrollable bouts of geekdom? If so, the Anomaly podcast may be right for you. In clinical studies, Anomaly's interviews, convention reports, commentary on geek culture, games, sci-fi and fantasy television, literature, and film provided a feeling of fullness while promoting health for optimal geekiness. The Anomaly podcast is not suitable for all people. Only geekily active cool chicks with a healthy sense of humor should listen. Geekily active cool guys should listen, too. Anomaly has resulted in sudden fits of squee. Broad smiles may appear without warning and could become permanent. The most common side effects of Anomaly are unconsciously joining in the Gamma Quadrant golf clap, out loud, at work, to the amusement of co-workers, and attempting to interject opinions aloud to hosts who can't hear the listener. But in all cases, the benefits outweigh the risks. Ask your Anomaly if you're healthy enough for entertainment of this caliber. You don't need a doctor's messy handwriting to obtain a free subscription. Anomaly is available over-the-counter at Stitcher Radio and in the iTunes, Zune, and BlackBerry stores. You can also stream episodes of Anomaly and Anomaly Supplemental at anomalypodcast.com. 
A-N-O-M-A-L-Y-Podcast.com. That's A-N-O-M-A-L-Y-Podcast.com. Just one one-hour episode provides 24 hours of relief and never leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Music by JewelBeat.com. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. The Disneyland stuff, you know, the park would approach uh, Imagineering and say, you know, like, uh, we have this big birthday coming up. What can we do to um, spruce up the park? So there would be a bunch of different, uh, you know, brainstorming meetings, concept art put on the wall. We can do the the circle theater into a birthday cake. Okay. I I still remember remember that, that, that drawing. Uh, you know, it, it, you you're looking back through Tomorrowland, and then you have the big. Uh, well, it looks like a flying saucer sometimes to me. That crash. <laughs> you know, and they basically put a uh, uh, kind of like a facade around it, and then put giant candles up on top of the roof. <laughs> and gonna, that was going to be the big birthday cake. Uh. They decided not to do that. I think that's probably wise. <laughs> it would have been. It would have looked cool. I, <laughs> I have to say that. I, I you know, uh, I mean, that'd be one big birthday cake. That's for sure. That yeah, that it would. <laughs> but there was you know, there was nothing in there. We took all the the figures out of it to put them in splash. Right. So it, the facility was dead. Uh, so, you know, hey, we, we know what we can do with it for a year. We'll make it into a birthday cake. We'll <laughs> be there for a year. But, you know, you just, you know, uh, you get these um, different requests that either come from the park or from corporate or um, uh, one of the divisions, sometimes consumer product uh, people would, uh, Bo Boyd's group would, would come over and, and uh, talk to us about uh, you know, they were thinking of doing a particular design for uh, a merchandise item in the parks or, or for the brand new Disney store and, you know, get feedback from Imagineers on, on their opinion or, you know, get some designs. So, you know, there's a lot of that. Uh, there's this word that, that we used a lot, and it was uh, synergy. Uh, sure, right. Also known as the S word. <laughs> but it really meant, it really meant uh, an awful... Um, a lot to the growth of the, of the company was getting everybody to to talk together and and, uh, and share stuff and um, you know be synergistic. Don't be afraid to go you know across to a different division within the company to bring them an idea or you know. And at that time, uh, during the uh, the Disney decade, mm-hmm. you had brand brand new uh, divisions that opened up. Okay, you you had you, you had Hollywood Records. Okay. Their first attempt to have a record label. Mm-hmm. You know, there, 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 there had always been a Disney, uh, Disneyland, Walt Disney Records label, and that was basically, you know, uh, Mickey Mouse sing-alongs or, or stuff like that. Uh, but this was a, a serious attempt to sign Hollywood-style uh, recording artists and you know, publish them and try to make a a real um, business out of it. And um, unfortunately, not all those things, you know, went well. And, uh, but, you know, Disney's still doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Disney store st- started off really great and uh, then overexpanded. And um, they really had to cut back because I think they oversaturated the market. Right. Um, 
having a Disney store in every mall was not ended up not being a good idea. Right. Yeah, it seems like they're returning to more of the roots and the, the original idea now with fewer of them, better themed, you know, yeah. almost more of that original idea. So, okay. Um, what was the last project that you worked on for Disney? Um, the absolute last thing I worked on was a project called Floating Theme Park. I don't think and, I've heard um, of that. No, it's not, well, it's not really talked about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was that was a very exciting project, but unfortunately, um, when Frank Wells died, he died in a horrible um, helicopter crash on a skiing trip in, in the Rockies. Right. And after he died, after he died, things kind of changed around you know the corporate climate, and there were certain projects that he definitely loved, and him and Michael loved them together. Okay, but after he went away. A lot of these projects that had very strong support ended up not having that support anymore because, you know, he wasn't there to be an advocate. Mm -hmm. So things, you know, really changed, you know, as far as the development of a lot of things uh, after after he passed away. When he was alive, both him and Michael together, that was kind of like a, a little golden age, you know. It almost kind of was reminiscent of Walt and Roy. In right. And, uh, you know... After that happened, and it just kind of like stuff, stuff that we thought was, "Ooh, that's going to happen." <laughs> it just it didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I imagine if Imagineering is, is stayed true to form, that the drawings and the concepts and everything are still sitting in a filing cabinet or a database or something somewhere, and you know, may show up some ways down the road in a maybe a slightly different form or something, but used elsewhere. It seems like not much gets thrown away in Imagineering. Well, it's a proverbial. You put it on the shelf, and every once in a while, someone will find it, and you brush, they brush it off and bring it down and say, well, what about this? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and one person will go, I remember that. <laughs> uh-huh. And it'll, it'll almost seem new, you know? <laughs> right, right. So. I'd like to see... Um, a good dozen designs actually really happened because I thought they were all very, very uh, fun, cool, would be a great thing to do. It's kind of a bit of trivia here. You, you know uh, Tower of Terror? Sure. Um, yeah. a, a, a wonderful but very complex ride system that you know is involved because there's movement not only uh, vertically but horizontally too. Mm-hmm. The original, original plan for it was... You got dropped, okay, and then you would swing out in a tunnel, and it would actually go out a few hundred yards away from the building. You'd come and be like a big L with a radius at the bottom of the L, so the car uh -huh. would come down, and it would actually it would come down, and it would rotate and continue to speed off off into the distance. So the the effect of the drop would be incredibly long. Oh wow. Longer than the building is high, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and the model for it was, uh, when you saw it, when you saw them drop the uh, elevator car down the model, you just went, oh, my God, this is, I, I think I'm afraid to get in this thing, you know? Uh-huh. It, it looks too hairy, you know? <laughs> 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 but 
uh, actually, um, it ended up costing too much. <laughs> that design got put on the shelf. Okay, that's a that's a great example of you know something that was really imaginative, but you know, just uh, just never happened. You know. Right. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me anything about what the floating theme park was supposed to be, or what was supposed to be in it, or anything? Well, um, Disney and more website. My uh, good French friend Alan interviewed me on it a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. And I would suggest anybody that's really interested to go to uh, uh, Disney and more dot blogspot dot com. Uh, and uh, he's a wonderful hardcore Disney blogger. Yeah, he did an interview on me about five years ago on it. It is very long. Uh, it actually, it would take up way too much time. Uh, for this conversation to, to talk about that. Sure. Okay, well, I will link to that in the show notes so that people can, can go listen to it. Yeah, great. I, I think it would be great. Okay, good. Um, so overall, then, how long did you work for Disney? I was there uh, a little over eight years, I believe, yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and you said that you had applied several times before that five-year gap and then them finally calling you in. But what, what was it that got you interested in working for Disney, especially as an Imagineer, uh, in the first place? Was there something specific? Well, no, I grew up going to the park, and, and it was a part of my, my childhood. It was a, a large part of what I found interesting as a child. So, you know, I had written about this, but I think I bled a little pixie dust back then. And, uh, <laughs> I got in trouble in elementary school for drawing the whole theme park on my desk in pencil. Every ride, every tree, every everything, you know. And then, uh, of course, uh, my teacher finally saw it after like about three days of me working on it. (laughs) And uh, I got sent to the principal's office to get us paddling. And uh, that's when they had corporal punishment in schools. (laughs) Right. But, no, I, I grew up with the Mickey Mouse Club, and I grew up watching the wonderful world of color, and I grew up in Long Beach area, so Disneyland wasn't that far away. And I was mm-hmm. really blessed that my, my dad, especially, just he loved going to the park. So um, my first time in the park was like uh, like two years after it opened. I believe in 50, 57 was my first visit. Okay. And, yeah, I was I was a young kid. Really young kid. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so it became very personal to me. That was my place, you know. Right. So I wanted to be an Imagineer before I knew what one was. Mm-hmm. You, you had seen the place. You It was your place, and you wanted to be a part of making it happen. Yeah. That seems to be a common thread among people who uh, who have worked for Disney and uh, if there was any connection to the parks at all, it was a strong connection, and that's that was the introduction for people. Right now, once you actually got started working for Imagineering, then uh, was there a time where you first remember thinking, "Wow, you know what? I'm doing something really special. This is this is really cool." Oh well, you know, it's the first day, yeah. <laughs> Just walking in that first day and being part yeah. of it. Yeah, it's like uh, I'm where I belong, you know. My dream had gone true. Mm-hmm. It happened, but it was actually happening. And uh, I took ownership. This is my company, 
I'm a part of it. You know, I was very proud of it. And the family was very proud of me also. So that I got an awful lot of wonderful support from the family. That's great. It's one of the very few places that you, you work at to where uh, you take it very personally. There's two types of people that work there. There's the ones who work there because it looks good on their resume. Mm-hmm. And the other ones like me, where uh, it was personal. We were there for a reason. We were there to continue the legacy of Walt. Right. You know, those are the people that have pixie dust in their names. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Uh, so there's this ownership and this pride that uh, you just you just really don't find in a company uh, like you do, especially in Imagineering. Imagineering is, uh, I've always thought of it as a very exclusive fraternity. And I say on my website, you know, uh, this is my feeling, so once you're an Imagineer, you're always an Imagineer. It's something you don't walk away from unless you did it because it looked good on your resume. Right. You know, you really don't need those people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can tell the ones who love it, and you can tell when a project has been worked on and developed by the people who really care too, and the the one not the ones who are there because it looks good on the resume, but the ones that are it's really personal for them. Yeah, and and also that was the hardest thing about uh, I was a hardcore video game guy in the very early years of it, and ended up going and being a head of development at an English video game company, and hmm. that was the only thing that I think. I could have transitioned to that made it easier for me to um, not be at Disney because I was doing something I was also passionate about. But the whole experience there changed me. For one thing, um, I only work on things that make a difference in people's lives. You know, the first time we opened up Disneyland Splash Mountain, there was three of us. It was uh, Bruce Gordon, who was the show producer, Mm -hmm. Uh, John Stone, uh, which was a concept designer, and myself, and we sat outside the exit queue of Splash Mountain on that first day that it opened. A soft open, actually. All we did was we watched people coming off of the off the ride. That's all we did. <laughs> and people coming off and laughing and sharing and just really enjoying that experience. Um, and it, that experience took them away from their their life, even if it was just for a few minutes. That it's something that is it's very special when you can do that. And then that really made a difference in those people's lives, you know, brought them closer together. They had a shared experience. They were having fun. They were being a family. Those things are important. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I used to work in um, doing military stuff, you know, years earlier. And um, I, I could never go back and do do stuff like that. And I, Everything I've done since I left Disney has to meet that criteria. It has to make a difference in people's lives. And, um, you know, that, uh, that was the biggest changing ex- experience that I got from, from being there, I think. That's huge. That's probably one of the most significant changes that a person can have, particularly when it comes to their career and their job, is moving from doing something just for the sake of doing it to doing something because it makes a difference to people. Yeah, and unfortunate that, that I experienced that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's yeah, true. A lot of people don't. So of the t- the eight years or so that you were working f- uh, for Imagineering and, and doing all of those things, what did you love most about what you did, whether it's a project or a skill set you got to use or making a difference? Well, what did I love most? 
Yeah. Putting on my badge. <laughs> Just being a part of it. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. To me, that was, it was very personal. I guess it's probably, mm-hmm. you know, it's a symbolic way of saying that. But, you know, to me, the, the thing that gave me the, the thrill every day was putting on my badge. Yeah, it's great when you can start a day at work by doing something that's so thrilling and means so much to you just by putting on your badge. And then I would think that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the day a lot of times. Yeah, and I was so excited when I got my first year pin, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then when I got my five-year pin, you know, and, you know, it, it, was, it was an honor to do that, to have that responsibility. Sure. Now, you talked about sitting outside the execute of Splash Mountain on that first day of soft openings and seeing the guests come out. Do you have any other stories like that or just of anything that you maybe worked on uh, and then got to see that make some magic for a guest, do something special for them? Uh, Or maybe as a guest experienced something, uh, there there was some way that it made some extra magic for you. Well, um, my my interaction with guests is... uh, different than somebody that's out there working in attractions or somebody that's working in a merchandise store, you know, because uh, I was, as an imagineer, I wasn't part of the show. When I would go on stage, I had to take my badge off, okay? I Mm -hmm. had a beard, okay? Other guys had long hair, you know? Uh, We wore uh, unthemed clothing, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so, We'd be like Disneyland Splash Mountain and say, I'm hungry, uh, let's go to the in-between, okay, the cast uh, cafeteria. So, okay. uh, you know, we'd go to the construction gate, and the first thing we do is take off our badges and put them in our pocket. Then go through the gate and try to be discreet and step on stage, okay? Well, now I'm a guest. As far as I'm concerned, everybody in the park, they're guests, I'm a guest, okay? So uh-huh. we walk to the other side of the park, slip in onto the uh, cast member only door and put the badges back on. So the interaction with guests was in a sense kind of rare. I uh, I was stopped multiple times because people all kind of like realized that I was an Imagineer, maybe because I had my Imagineering jacket on. <laughs> That's a good clue. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't want to talk to you. I've signed autographs. I've never been so humbled before, when the first time somebody asked if I would sign their, their guidebook, and I, I went, no, you don't want my signature. Yeah, I really do. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, <laughs> also, uh, uh, outside the park, I was wearing my jacket over at a, a shopping center that I dropped by to get get some lunch, and, uh, and I swear this is the honest truth. Uh, I'm wearing my black Imagineering jacket, and this lady in a in a convertible, a Corvette pulls up next to me, and uh, she says, "I really like your jacket." I said, "Well, thank you very much." She says, um, "I'll make you a proposition. Uh, I'll give you a ride in my car if you promise to leave your jacket when you get out." <laughs> so yeah, she was either interested in me or the jacket. One of the two. I think it was a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it might have been the jacket, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I declined the offer, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you would have had to give up the jacket. See, back then, you were, you were only allowed to buy one a year. And that's at, the, okay. at, at our company store. And, uh, right. Yeah, you bought one, and uh, you couldn't buy another one for a year. See, that's when imaginary merchandise meant something. 
Because mm-hmm. only only uh, Imagineers could get it, and you had to be at the right place at the right time when they were uh, offering something. But that was uh, that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, were you able to actually witness any guests experiencing any of the other attractions that you worked on? Oh yeah, you know after the after that the first time, you know that's when it's I got spoiled. You know, uh, I was sitting there with Bruce and John watching watching the guests, you know, come on. That was my first time actually experiencing that. You know, here's something I've been working a year and a half on. Bruce had been working on it since the beginning. You know, Tony was the executive director on it, but uh, really Bruce was the show producer. And John Stone did all the sketches uh, for all the rock work in the field. Uh, he worked with all the rock work people, and he would just, like, make a, a sketch on a, on a graph paper and say, I want it to look like this, you know? And hand it to them, and the rock work guy would take that, and he'd go over and he'd, he'd start doing it. Wow, they did an incredible job. Yeah, you know that was all. A lot of that detail you see there was sketched on site, and um, those sketches were used as guidance. You know, I want a boulder here, I want a groove here, I want sand here. You know, mm-hmm. but Stone did all that stuff. Real unsung hero on that project. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know I've heard his name, but never to any. So, you know, sizable degree as far as his contribution goes, and it sounds like he should definitely get a lot more recognition for it than we usually hear. There is a, a photograph that the the PR people did take of Tony Bruce and John Stone there at Splash Mountain. Uh, one of the very few pictures um, of John as part of the you know the creative team there. But um, you know, a lot of people at, at WDI are really unsung heroes. You know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one reason that I'm really glad with the D23 Expos and even the films in the Blue Sky Cellar I've noticed recently talk to people other than just the big name Imagineers. And right. you know, at the Expo, you might have a show producer standing there with the model of the attraction he's working on and get to talk to people about it and you know, share their passion for what they're working on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, times have changed, too. Mm-hmm. You know, at one time, everything happened in Glendale, and then slowly, because of organizational changes dictated by the studio and the like, the studio, I mean corporate, you know, uh, Burbank people, right. that, uh, Imagineer, Imagineers uh, ended up actually being uh, headquartered in Walt Disney World. And, uh, you know, that really kind of was, the thrust was because Studio Tour, and they also sent out a bunch of animation people, too, from uh, uh, from Disney Pictures. Right. Because uh, there was a time there where you would actually see films in production. Yeah. And you'd see the animators. And uh, so that was, you know, uh, they were saying, okay, we got we got all this land out here, and it's it's uh, cheaper cost of living and stuff like that, you know, that uh, makes sense to have some of the Imagineers and some of the animators and, you know, like, you know, out there. The animators ended up coming back. <laughs> right. To Burbank, right? But there's uh, a lot of uh, Imagineers that, are, that have stayed on in, in Florida. Hmm. And they're they're part of the Florida portfolio. Sure. That makes sense. Now, it sounds like the answer to this next question might be, I've already had it, but I'm going to ask anyway. Yeah. Um, if you could have any job working for the Walt Disney Company, what would it be and why? Yeah, it would be CEO. <laughs> okay. You'd like to just run the whole thing, huh? Yeah, I, I, I'm a control freak. I want to run the whole thing. I want to be, I want to be the final decision maker. I, I want to be Walt. 
Okay. Okay. I want to spread magic and then let everybody do their great stuff and then uh, uh, be the final decider. That's whatever. Uh, yeah. That's, that's. Of course, that's what I would want to be. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a certain amount of sense. Well, yeah, and I'd, I'd have hundred hundred million dollar uh, bonuses too. Oh, well, that doesn't hurt anything either. No, and a lot of stock. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Now, as a former, arguably you could say current, but formerly employed Imagineer, you have a little different perspective, I think, on the parks and the attractions than the frontline cast members and certainly than the guests do. So do you have any tips that you can think of that you could share with guests that, you know, might make their visit a little better or make help them appreciate the parks a little bit more than they might ordinarily? Well, those tips are, are things that I, I share on Disney by Mark. That was one of the reasons why I started it was I had all this stuff that I needed to share. And um, although Disney by Mark has morphed over the um, year and a few months that it's been up into a news, information, reviews, editorial, commentary website, but, it, but I still, still bring that personal stuff to it. Um, and it's, it's the small things, I think, uh, that people really appreciate. You know, when you're able to um, to share something that maybe they've never seen before. Uh, it's something as small as... I posted something um, just a couple days ago uh, about this display in a merchandise store in the Magic Kingdom, and it's called the Saw of Destiny. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes I just discover things myself. Of course, I'm looking at the park uh, unfettered by family, by other people having expectations of what they want me to do while I'm there. You know, I, I go by myself. Mm-hmm. So I saw this wonderful display of this uh, actual real working magician's special uh, saw, you know, the, the act where they saw the person in half. They put them in the box, right. sticking out one end, their head sticking out the other, their hands are off to the side, and then they got a slot in the middle where the saw goes, you know. Now, they made mm-hmm. this into a Mickey Mouse plush display. And I thought it was really cute. It, really, this was the theme of the whole store is this is the back room of the theater where all this stuff is kept that keeps um, keeps the theater going and different art uh, things from the different acts that are in there and stuff like that. And all there's, you know, of course, magicians that perform there. Sure. But, you know, the, the, the kind of ironic play of this is it's a saw of destiny. But it's got all this plush Mickey Mouse is all over it. But the problem is, is uh, you would think they'd be half off, but they're not. <laughs> that would be perfect, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, so I think they got to work on that a little bit. But I, I, I think I, so. I, I like to share some of the small things, you know, and, and I think it's really important also uh, not be too serious about stuff. I mean, if I see that show, I'm going to call it. Mm-hmm. And I'm very sorry if it if it hurts somebody's feelings or. Uh, you don't agree, I look at it, and if I feel it's a bad show, I'm going to say something. Sure. If it's a good show, I'm going to say something, too. But I think it's really important to be able to bring that perspective that I'm not held by the fact that I still work for the company, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm always respectful, and I think that's really important. But, you know, I also have to be honest. And I have to talk about the company as an informed outsider sometimes and also as an informed insider, people are very interested in, in knowing those stories. Mm-hmm. This is not a website for children, okay? It's child safe, 
okay? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? But they're not my audience. Adults are my audience. Because this is it's a news website. It really has to be objective, okay? Now, I'm not there to be like a tabloid, you know, where I'm exposing all sorts of stuff. No, that's not what it's about. But it's just, you know, being objective and understanding that it's not just, uh, you know, the legacy of Walt and stuff that I think is important to um, keep intact and, and be respectful and celebrate it. But it's also the fact that we're dealing with a corporation and it's being run by people who don't necessarily have those same values at times. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if they're doing something that I think is inappropriate, I'll say it. Right. Especially the uh, go, going and doing stuff that is um, cheaper to do. Well, we, here's an example. I, I kind of got on a rant about the crane at you know, Disneyland. Right. Or uh, Big Thunder. Okay. When we did Splash Mountain, very rarely did we have a crane boom up during the daytime. Well, if we were done using a crane, and we had to do lifts during the day, don't get me wrong, especially when we were uh, putting in the, uh, the ride steel, the fabricated plume steel, very, very large pieces. You had to do it during the daytime you know, for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. But you weren't using that, that crane. That boom came down. You just wasn't sitting out there for everybody to see. We just didn't want to make it even more of an eyesore. Even though it was obvious that there was a mountain being built over here. Right. And people were very fascinated with it all. But you look at what they're doing here, they're getting this uh, a type of crane that's used for high-rise construction. So once you erect it, you can't bring it down. You only bring it down when it's done, when you're done using it entirely. There were stipulations within contracts that we would uh, let to contractors, for example, on Splash Mountain. And there's a visual intrusion section of the contract. And it specifically talks about things like what the public can see and how to mitigate that and what you can do and what you shouldn't do, okay? Mm-hmm. It talked about not only cranes, but it talked about especially welding and noise making. You know, you don't want a guy out there with a, a pneumatic drill just completely ruining the experience for everybody over inside the show building at the Haunted Mansion, you know? Right. But to me, the small, it's, the small things are really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is one thing I appreciate about your website is that it is, you know, where things are going well and they, they make good decisions, you give them credit for that. And where they're maybe not making great decisions, you call them out on it, but not in a vindictive kind of way, but in a wanting the best show and experience for the guests right. uh, kind of way. Well, when I walk into the park, I'm... I remember what I was told in the very beginning about what Walt said is walking in the, the get, your guest shoes, you know. Mm-hmm. Be, be there as a guest, experience it as a guest, and understand what, what other people are. And talk with them. I talk with so many people in the park, and they don't know me from Adam. Some instances, I, I have had people recognize me. <laughs> uh, they, they've been to my side and they saw my picture, you know. Right, um, right. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. That's always unexpected. It's happened a few times, both in California <laughs> and Florida. But no, I talked to people about what they thought about something. They, you know, if they were enjoying the the food, did they like the attraction? Uh, what's your hotel like? Just you know, chit chat. Right. But I'm doing it for a reason. I'm really I'm really trying to find out what's working and what's not working. You know. Right. Okay. Well, and in a little bit, I'll give you a chance to. 
specifically direct people to your uh, Disney by Mark site and you know, the various affiliated ones that you have, because I know you've got a Flickr page and a YouTube channel and things like that. So, But before we get to that, what do you never get asked that you wish people would ask you, if anything? Say that differently. When you are talking to guests or when you uh, have other interviews and things, there's the common questions that get asked. And you know, we've covered a lot of those today oh, as far yeah. as what you did and, and all that. But is there ever anything that you know, you want to be able to tell people, so, but they never ask the question that would allow you to give the answer where you could say that. Um, no, not really, to be honest with you. I mean, go, on the flip side, I get I get a lot of the same types of questions asked. Mm-hmm. You know, what's it like to be an Imagineer? How can I get a job at Imagineering? What, what type of school should I be going to? That kind of fan-based type of questions, you know, who have you worked with, do you know so-and-so, you know, those are the type of questions that I get asked a lot. I guess the things that, you know, I don't really get asked are, you know, are you married, or <laughs> you want to go out on a date, or <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't get, I don't get asked that, I think I... <laughs> I think I'll beg off that one, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. What inspires you? Um, things that inspire me, when I see something and I know it, it just came off right, it was really well done, that inspires me to to keep doing what I'm doing. I, I, I take a lot of risks creatively and, and also in, in your personal life. You know, when you're out there not working for, for somebody for a salary, for example, and you're doing it on your own, you know, you're taking risks. So when you get you know, really great feedback uh, on what you're doing. It inspires you to, to continue on. Mm-hmm. I not be doing Disney by Mark now if I wasn't inspired from day one all the way through to now. I've had people write really genuinely nice things about the site. And, um, gee, that inspires you. It keeps the passion going. You know, I'm not doing this for my, myself. Okay, this isn't this isn't an ego thing. It's me trying to communicate in the best way that I can through a medium that that we only talked about when we did spaceship the, the second spaceship Earth. You know, it's really it's really something that when we were um, involved in the, the show, which talked about our global neighborhood and the information superhighway, when people didn't even know what in the heck it was, we talked about how it's going to change the world distance, communication, doctors um, seeing patients halfway across the globe remotely, how this unknown thing is going to end up becoming something that now I can reach out and I can share with people all around the world 24 hours a day. And I get I get people writing me in multiple languages. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, I use Battlefish a lot. <laughs> it's probably the best uh, translator uh, tool on the internet, and just you know, cut and paste the entire comments and go, oh, now I see what they're talking about. Um, right. You know that inspires the heck out of me. Well, I was involved in a project that uh, foretold the future, and now I'm living it. That must be incredible. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, I've taken an awful lot of risks too in the process, and, and lost a lot of money. You know, we had successes and failures, you know. You need to be inspired in order to continue to do things like that. Mm-hmm. 
to, to be the risk taker. Sure. And it's kind of interesting. Some people, when they find out what I do, they say, aren't you worried that Disney's going to shut you down or, or whatever? And I, I think, you know, I'm respectful of, of the Walt Disney Company, and I think they respect, you know, what I'm doing. I've had some chats with some people in the company, and uh, I got some understandings. But, you know, bottom line is I'm reporting on the company as a whole, and uh, I'm just not, like, focusing just on theme park and Imagineering and stuff like that. And I, I think it's really important to understand that this is a it's a very, very large media company. It's, like, the biggest in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's so many aspects to it that a lot of people just don't get exposed to. Yeah, that's true. There's their particular favorite segment, and they don't think about the rest of what all's out there. And um, th- there's a lot of areas that the company's moving into that I don't think people are aware of. One half of 1% of Disney fans know that there is a, a Disney India company. Mm-hmm. And a lot of uh, uh, production for video games and also animation is starting to come out of India. People don't know that. They think it's all happening up there, uh, you know, underneath the, the Seven Dwarfs in the, the Team Disney building. Yeah. Yeah, there's too much being cranked out for it all to be happening there. But you're right. I don't think people are aware of the scope and uh, the breadth of it. Yeah, they just sort of, kind of, sort of take certain things for granted. Like, it's all happening uh, there in... Burbank. Well, no. Yeah. Okay. Um, one more question, and then shameless plug time for you. <laughs> that, that'll be over in 10 seconds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> a lot of people listening have their own dreams. It might be to work for Disney, whether as an Imagineer or an artist or whatever. Uh, or, you know, it might be something else entirely, completely unrelated to Disney. But maybe they're afraid. Maybe they've forgotten that they even had a dream once. What advice do you have for that person as somebody who's lived your dream of being able to be an Imagineer? That's a really good question. And the old adage of never, never let go of your dreams is, is really appropriate. But I think you need to have multiple dreams. Mm. I think it's really unhealthy to have one dream. And then if you, if you get disappointed and never are able to realize that dream, then some people feel that their life has become a failure. I think it's really important to have multiple dreams. Be a dreamer, okay? I've been fortunate to have been able to live multiple dreams. I was an Imagineer. I ran a video game company. That was another dream, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that I just really loved. Uh, I worked in the space program working on satellite development, that was another dream. You know, gee, you know, if you're like a, a 12-year-old, you say, well, what would you like to do in your life? Tell me three things you'd like to do. Well, let's see. I, I want to go, I want to work for Disney. I want to make games. And I want to go to outer space. Okay? Those are perfectly valid dreams for a 12-year-old. And they can be for an adult. Mm-hmm. But have more than one dream. Maybe it's a way of spreading your risk out. <laughs> <laughs> Diversify. Yeah, you might be able to realize one of those dreams, okay? And then you can you can say, you know what, I, I had that, and uh, I feel good about it, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, people, they they dream about different things, you know, like uh, some people say, I dream about having a large family. That'll, that's something, you know, that's a, just as a valid dream as wanting to 
uh, be an astronaut. Just don't limit yourself. Don't find yourself 50 years old and say, you know, I really am unfulfilled in my life because I wasn't able to realize my dream. Well, have many dreams. Like Walt used to say, dream, diversify, and never miss an angle. Oh, okay. That's a new one for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm pretty sure he was talking about it in a slightly different context, but it works. (laughs) (laughs) He said a lot of things, and people wrote down a lot of things that he said. True. Very true. (laughs) Okay. That's actually really great advice, and it's advice I haven't heard before. So thank you very much for sharing that. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. All right. And then just to wrap up here, uh, is there anything that you'd like to mention or promote? I'm sure you want to mention your Disney by Mark site. So shameless plug time. Go for it. You know, it's, it's there. Go check it out. Um, you know, I hope you like it. It's deep. It's got a lot of content in it. And uh, there's also, I have six synergistic uh, websites that are a part of the uh, Disney by Mark brand. And uh, they all have different types of content in them. You know, I live in Hawaii. I've been in Hawaii for years now. And that's a Disney by Mark Ohana. That's the family of websites. Okay, I like. So some people they're only on Twitter, you know, or some people are only doing Facebook, uh, or somebody is like really into photography and they're they're um, they're on Flickr, or they're they're a Tumblr fan, or they're a Pinterest fan, you know. We we have a presence in all that those uh, arenas, so the content's able to be shared. So the audience just isn't on um, uh, Disney My Mark website. The big thing we have going on, the shameless plug, uh, which is going to be ending uh, Valentine's Day. Is this going to go out before Valentine's Day? No, it's not going to be out by then. Okay. I'll I'll talk about the contest anyway. It's kind of fun. Sure. What would you do with a $200 Disney gift card? And you got to read all the comments of all the different ways that people, uh, if they won the contest, what they would do with that $200 Disney gift card. A lot of fun reading all those comments. But uh, no, the site continues to grow, and um, it's in phase two right now. It's version 2.0. We're going to be launching 3.0 in just a few months, and um, we're going to be bringing in a bunch of um, people to uh, develop unique content for it. We're going to have a video game section. Uh, Somebody's only responsibility is going to talk about everything that Disney Interactive is doing. Uh, another one involving fashion, merchandise, you know, Hollywood stuff. So we're going to end up with um, specific experts in, in particular areas, that, and I'm going to be mo- moving more into uh, being the editor-in-chief instead of uh, producing a lot of the content. I'll still be producing content, but uh, it's going to expand with a lot more members. And Taking on sort of a project manager role on your site? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we are, already have two dozen contributors. Wow, so, I didn't realize it was that many. It's impressive. Yeah, and we opened up a store, uh, the Emporium. We thought it would be fun. We kept getting co- uh, uh, comments from people that say, you live in Hawaii, can you get me something over at Alani Resort or the Disney store there that you can't get on the mainland? <laughs> 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 so we decided appropriate amount of budget, went over and bought a bunch of stuff and said, okay, we'll, we'll sell this stuff to people who want it. It's kind of fun. It, it, it's a... Um, that's for requests of, of readers, you know. Right. Not everybody's able to fly over to Hawaii to, to get a uh, Lilimation Hula Mini. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. That's a really good idea. So people can just go to DisneyByMark.com and be able to access yeah. all of those from there? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, you you can go to all the different uh, uh, websites. There's links to all the different websites uh, to the Emporium. Also, we uh, have a weekly uh, newsletter called The Broadside. And what for the people who don't have time to go online and stuff like that, basically it's, it's all the stories that were done for a full week in an email format to where if you want to read the story, you can just click on it and then it takes you to the story. Okay. Yeah, we've got The Broadside. Uh, we just launched uh, five weeks ago. And really being uh, well received so oh fantastic um pretty much that's it you know um, brand new year going to be uh going to Walt Disney World and, and Disneyland and we also have a Tokyo Disneyland trip planned we're also if you're interested in Elani Resort um I'm the expert on it it's in my backyard <laughs> <laughs> all right and you know if you're a uh, and the food, you're, you're going to be doing a lot more food reviews, a lot more dining reviews. But the important thing is uh, uh, keeping it fresh, keeping it relevant, mm-hmm. and, and entertaining at the same time. Uh, but not trying to make people feel that, oh, this is just a fan site. This is not a fan site. It's a serious you know, news magazine format. Right. Yeah, it definitely does have a different feel than the fan sites typically do uh, in a good way. So that the, yeah. it does differentiate itself. So that's good. Well, I feel good when I look at their uh, some fan sites and I see that they borrowed stuff from me. <laughs> <laughs> Sincerest form of flattery and all that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't take my copyrighted pictures. <laughs> right, right. Watermark those things. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mark. I appreciate it. And I've enjoyed hearing the stories and your insights and perspective and everything. Well, it's my pleasure. Uh, and uh, I hope uh, we have something new and exciting to report to uh, later this year. And uh, look forward to um, seeing any comments that uh, your listeners might have. Wonderful. On September 22nd, 2004, Oceanic Flight 815 left Sydney, Australia, bound for Los Angeles and crashed on a remote and mysterious island somewhere in the South Pacific. The survivors quickly realized this was no ordinary island. The groundbreaking Emmy Award-winning drama Lost ran on ABC television from September 22, 2004 to May 23, 2010 and remains to this day one of the greatest television series of all time. Relive every moment of this amazing series as we reopen the hatch and take you deep inside each episode of this epic series. My name is Joyce. And I'm Al. And on our show, Lost Flight 815, we'll cover each episode of this immensely popular series in a unique way. We'll watch the show as we record and share our thoughts and lost facts while you listen to the episode with us. So tune in to the Lost 815 podcast and visit us on the web at www.lostflight815.com and relive one of the greatest shows of all time. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at LostFlight815. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Mark Hickson for being my guest and to you for listening. If you've worked for the Walt Disney Company in any capacity and would like to share a positive story, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY anytime 24 hours a day. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, let me know. If you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, 
or had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or if you've had any special Disney experience you want to share, in parks, movies, TV, Disney Channel, Radio Disney, consumer products, you name it. If you've got something that you appreciate and want to thank somebody for, or you've had a special experience, I would love to hear from you too. Email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. Those ratings help make the podcast more visible there, so it's easier for people to find. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. Please like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic. Finally, this episode has been brought to you by Leaving Conformity Coaching, my life coaching business. If you're looking for more joy, passion, and purpose in your life, let me help you break free of your limiting, performance-based natural identity and embrace your supernatural kingdom identity. To find out more about how I can help you, access some free resources, and read my blog, Faith and the Magic Kingdom, visit leavingconformitycoaching.com slash stories. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories, but this tale is finished. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.